Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11, we'll continue, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel. The focus is on the kings, and we've looked this time really at the third king. We started with Saul, first king, David, the second king, and now we're Solomon, the third king, and we'll get through chapter 11, and that's where Solomon dies, and that's the end, and so uh, there's a lot, and when you think about Solomon, we think about Solomon has ruled in wisdom and power, and he has built the temple and ruled the nation, so there's a lot of great things, but there are problems. Solomon turns away from God. And when you, when you think about this and you look at it and you say to yourself, here is Solomon who is the wisest man that's ever lived and he's the most powerful man, he's the richest man, he's everything, and he turns away from God? And there's a great truth is we must maintain our fellowship with God, serving him, having our lives kept for him because it'd be easy for us if we're not careful, that we can turn away, that we can stop growing. We can stop, stop growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. As we look at this final, basically final years of Solomon's life, let me so, show you some things. We're going to look at Solomon's failure. We're going to look at, at God's discipline and the consequences, and then really sort of the adversaries. I'm going to talk about some people that we'll see in the, in the passage. So we'll, we'll look at this. Oh, you want those? Okay, good. I didn't know she was that thirsty. But anyway, that, that's wonderful. Uh, so uh, many of you know that I always, I, I coached track at, at Mississippi State for years. I also coached high school for a short time. And uh, yesterday, was, uh, Catherine and I were keeping up with the Big 12 track and field and indoor, and our, the OSU girls won, won the Big 12, and the boys were second. And so it was really good. But it takes me back to a, a time when I was in high school, and we were at a district meet. And if you finished in the top three, you got to go to the state. And so we had this half-miler guy, and, and, and he was so pumped. He was so excited about running. And we said, listen, you know, we had, I was actually helping then, even coach then. I, I just always have been that. And I was telling him, we were telling him, now, you got to pace. you got to stay on the pace. Well, they shot the gun. He went running as fast as you could imagine. He was like 20 or 30 yards ahead of everybody else, and he was just running so fast, and, and everybody was cheering and screaming, and I was saying, oh, no. And so he was way ahead, and they finished that first lap, and then about halfway through that second lap, as the old saying, we used to say, the bear jumped on his back, and he began to slow down, and he ended up finishing last instead of first. And, and so we look at it, and you say, he started so good. Or it looked like he started good, but he finished poorly. And so when you think of the life of Solomon, that would be the same thing you could say. You could say, Solomon started so good. I mean, you think about it, he started great. He asked for wisdom. He had this position from God. He was the king. He obeyed God. He was known for wisdom and worship. He built the temple, and yet he finished badly. He did things he was not supposed to do. I mean, that's the thing. And we realize that all the wisdom in the world will not help if we choose to go contrary to the Word of God. Think about it. You can say, well, he's the wisest man that ever lived. Well, wisdom doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to obey Scripture or we're going to do what we're supposed to do. And, and, and that's what we see in Solomon's life. In fact, there's success when we live by the Word of God. There's failure when we disobey the Word of God. And the, the key word is faithfulness. We talked about it. You know, you, you, are you, do you want to be famous or faithful? And the bottom line is the key is to be faithful in our lives as we go through, through, our, through our Christian lives. Let me give you sort of the outline of the passage we're going to see this morning. We'll go fairly quickly through it. Uh, we're going to see Solomon's failure uh, by the foreign women and the false gods and then God's response to all this and then Solomon's adversaries. We're going to see all, a little bit of that. And we, we'll hit most of the verses but I just want you to see it as we go through it. There's a lot there. As you think about Solomon, uh, I mean, what, what about him? God, was, Solomon was raised up 
to a great position, and he failed when he moved away from God. Solomon failed in his obedience to the word of God. We always say this, if you're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. And this is what happened to him. And we're going to see the main problem, and I don't mean in a bad way, the main problem was the wives. He didn't have one wife or two wives. He had a thousand wives. And we're going to see how it all ties together. He failed in his obedience to God. Solomon was a king. And let me just tell you this. Solomon as the king was supposed to take and write his own copy of the scripture. Now, at the time of Solomon, they had at least the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? Moses wrote those books, and, and so they had those. They may have had uh, the book of Judges, because a lot of people think Samuel may have written Judges, so they may have had that. So he was supposed to take and actually copy for his own self a copy of the Bible as the king so he would know the scripture. And if you remember that in Deuteronomy 17, Verses 14 through 20, there were three negatives and a positive. The three negatives, this is for the king. He was not to multiply horses, not to multiply wives, not to multiply gold and silver, and to obey the word of God. That was what he was supposed to do. That's from Deuteronomy. Well, what Solomon disobeyed in all the areas, he multiplied horses. He went to Egypt, got all the horses and the chariots. He multiplied wives. We'll see it in our passage this morning. He multiplied gold and silver. You remember it said that he had so much gold that even silver, people said silver's Silver's nothing. I mean, we got so much gold. And he did not keep the word of God. We'll see it in the passage. And so at the, at the end of chapter 10, we begin to see the failures because at the end of chapter 10, we saw where he went and got all the horses and where he got all the gold. When we get into chapter 11, we're going to see where he multiplies the wives. And, and I think the, the thing that, that just breaks your heart is this right here. The wives turned his heart away from God. And we're going to see how that ties together. We're going to talk about it in just a little bit, uh, even more. But let's start with the passage. First uh, Kings chapter 11, look at verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sid- uh, Sidonian, and Hittite women. And then he says, from all the... We'll go on and read in just a second. Now, it says that he loved a lot of foreign women. Now, the first woman that he's, that he's married to is Pharaoh's daughter. That's an Egyptian. That's not Jewish. He's supposed to ultimately only marry Jewish people. Jewish people were not supposed to intermarry when they went into the promised land and everything. God said, do not intermarry with the Edomites and the Sidonians. Do not do that because they will turn your heart away from God. That's what he said, because they worship false gods. So what does Solomon do? He, best we can tell, he probably made an alliance with the king of Egypt and married his daughter so that they would be friends. Egypt was the second most powerful nation in the world. Most likely Israel was first, Egypt was second. So he did that. But then it goes on to say that he loved many foreign women. Uh, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonian, Hittite women. And then uh, notice what the verse goes on to say. Verse 2. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, God already told them this, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. He said, do not have anything to do with those people, those women. Those, for, for why? For they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. 
Now, I want you to understand, they worship different gods. They worship false gods. You know, there's only one God, one true God. When we say false gods, there's only one God. That is God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. But there are false gods in the sense that behind these false gods that people worship is satanic. It's satanic. It's, you know, the devil controls a fallen world system and all false religions and all those things, that's satanic. And so he said, we told him, when you go into the land, do not intermarry with these people. Do not connect with them because they worship false gods. They worship, in a sense, Satan. And he said, don't do that. Why? Because they will turn you away. It says, they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. You'll begin to say something like, well, you know, our God, God, you know, God of Israel, he's, he's the greatest. And, but, you know, there's, there's Molech and there's that other God. And, and they're okay. What? No, they're not okay. And you begin to say, well, that's okay. And that's what sometimes happens. We, we slowly turn away. And this is what the wise would do. They would turn the hearts away. And, and this is what he said was going to happen. In fact, notice the end of the verse, uh, verse 2. It says, Solomon held fast to these in love. Solomon loved many foreign women. So many times we as Christians get pulled away. And, and, you know, you can really think about two different things. One is we do things contrary to the Bible that's open disobedience. Or sometimes we allow relationships to affect us. Let's think about the first one. We, we do things contrary to the Bible. We, we know that there's things right and wrong. Just like Solomon knew things are right and wrong. And we choose to do the wrong things. And it pulls us away from God. And sometimes you start off and you do it and you say, I won't ever do that again. And then you do it again. And before you know it, you're moving further and further away. And then there's a second thing. And that's we allow relationships really to affect us. And, and, and you you got to be really careful. And let me just say this to, to unmarried people, first of all. When you think about, like, you got, you're on fire for Jesus Christ, and you say, man, I love the Lord. I want to, and, and sometimes I've seen girls and guys, they, they connect with people. Sometimes they'll even like a guy or like a girl, and they're not even a believer. And in their minds, they say, well, I really like them, and maybe, maybe eventually I can make them become a believer. I can even marry them, and then later on they'll become a believer. That's not going to happen. Most likely, most, I'd say 99% of the times that never happens. Happens. And the Bible already says, don't marry an unbeliever. And there's sometimes people will even do this. There'll be uh, girls or guys who are on fire for Christ, and they'll meet a guy or a girl who's not on fire, may even be a believer, but they're not on fire. And they'll say, well, maybe I can get them on fire. But you know what usually happens? You go the other way. And it's so easy to connect with people in our relationships that pull us away. And we talk about best friends. And let me just say this. Our best friends need to be people who are on fire for Christ because that encourages us and keeps us going. It stirs us up to love and good works. But sometimes people get best friends with people who aren't even believers. And before you, there's nothing wrong. We want to relate to them. We want to love them. We want to bring them and help them come to know Christ as Savior. But sometimes we begin to do what they do. And so this is what Solomon does. He marries all these different foreign women and begins to turn to their gods. You could say, wait a minute, you're telling me that Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the king of Israel, the richest man, the most powerful man, he's going to turn away from the true God and worship idols and false gods? The answer is yes. That's what's going to happen to him. And so as I tell you about us, we can fall as easily. We got to be careful. Solomon, it says, held fast to those in love. Well, look what happens. Verse 3 says, they have 700 wives and 300 concubines. He had 700 wives, which were princesses, 300 concubines, that's slave wives. And notice the end of the verse, and his wives turned his heart away. 
That's already the second time in this little passage it says turn their heart away. If you go back to Deuteronomy 17, 17, which is what Solomon was supposed to have written and known, it says, neither shall he, talking about the king, neither shall he, the king, multiply wives for himself. Why? Lest his heart turn away. It is easy to let things pull us away from the truth, from the things that are important in our lives, from, from our growth. It, 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 it just is. It just is. And, and that's what happened. Now, you could say, uh, we, we watched Saul, and we're going to talk about them next week. We're going to end up by getting a quick review of Saul as the first king, David the second king, Solomon the third king. And you say, well, David, David messed up. Yeah, but David did this. He did many things wrong, but he never turned away from God. David was a man after God's own heart. No matter what he messed up, he always came back. We know that Saul never came back. And we're watching Solomon, and guess what? He's not going to come back either. And so his wives are going to turn him away. And, and then he's going to begin to list, and we're going to talk about it. Here's these false gods. Look at, the, uh, uh, look at verse 4. When Solomon was old... When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly, wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his, Dave, uh, of his father David had been. Uh, you know, David was amazing, but David had a heart for God all the way through. And, and Solomon didn't. So look at verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. And so here's what we find. Ashtoreth, Ashtoreth was a female deity. And she was believed sometimes to be the wife of Baal. Baal is just another name for God. And they worshipped Baal. And the Sidonians worshipped Ashtoreth. Sometimes she was called Ashtar, which many people think that the name Esther came from that. But anyway, so she was called Ashtaroth, and he, he did that. Look, and he also, Milcom, which was the god of the Amorites, and Milcom and Molech, many believe that Molech was a god, that a lot of people think that they were pretty much the same god. They just had two different names with two different peoples. But look what it goes on to say. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord fully as David, his father, had done. It's the same thing. He, it, it just gives it to you plain. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. And, and think about it. We're, we're capable. Listen, you'd say, Solomon did that, that? Oh, that's not really possible. You might even say, if you were in that situation, you would never have done that. You never know. Put us in the wrong place at the wrong time, we'll do the wrong thing. So we've got to be very careful. We're capable of any sin. Look at verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. So even more, Chemosh and Molech. Let me tell you about Molech. Molech was supposed to be like the god of the earth. And you gave child sacrifices to Molech. They had a deal that Molech was like a statue and had his arms out and a fire going, and they would take their children and throw their children into the fire in sacrifice to Molech. That's why he's called detestable, detestable god of the Ammonites. And Chemosh was a god of Moab. He was just, he was just as bad as well. In fact, uh, Solomon built places of worship for these gods. Can you imagine? You can see his wife saying, okay, we know you love the true God, but we love these gods, and why don't you help us? You get to worship your god. Let us, let us get to worship our god. And so Solomon could say, well, 
I don't think it's a big deal. We could put, we could put some statues out there because that, that's what they want to do. What do you mean it's not a big deal? What do you mean? What are you thinking? You know, it's not a big deal we do this. Yes, yes, it is a big deal. It's a big deal. And so Solomon built places of worship. Let me give you, this is a, just to give you an idea. Here's the Edomites down here, the Moabites, the Ammonites, uh, the Sidonians up here. They all had false gods. And he married, intermarried with these women these, to have these alliances. And now what are they doing? They're turning his heart away from God. It just, it, it, it's so sad to see the great man turn away. And God, God had already said to him, do not do this. Do not do this in the day that you do this. And listen, the word of God is powerful. God gives us his word for a reason. It is for our good. When you look at 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God and is proper for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate. That means mature, equipped for every good work. God says, he has given us his word so it's profitable for us so we can know it and apply it and know how to live our lives out and mature and grow. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. God has given us the truth. And sometimes when you look at the Bible and you say, oh, I don't know, that's not what I want to do. Well, that's right, because our flesh says I want to do something contrary to the Bible. But you've got to remember, God's word is perfect. And when God gives us his word, it is for our own good. Even if we say, well, I, I don't want to do that, or I, I, do I have to? Yes, yes. And here's Solomon going contrary. What's it like when you live a life and you get contrary to the Bible? Well, when we violate the Word of God, what do we expect? You remember Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, and let me tell you, we think Solomon wrote Song of Solomon when he was young, and we think he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was old. And he's been through all of this. And what does he say about his life? He says, there's no joy. Life is vanity. It's empty. He says, anything under the sun is vanity. Above the sun is God. Under the sun is the world. And he's been living under the world because he's worshiping false gods. And what does he say about life? It's vanity. It's empty. It's like a vapor. It just, it just goes. There's not much there. He wrote that when he was older. And so what's happened to him? Well, if we stop for a second and we say, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to Solomon, who is God's man, as the king of Israel, the wisest man, the richest man, the most powerful man? People come from all over to hear about him, and now he's on away from the God of Israel to false gods. What's going to happen? Well, God's going to come to him. Look at verse 9. Oh, by the way, verse 8 says, He also did this for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. He did it for everybody. Then verse 9 says, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon. Why? Because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. The Lord is angry. Now, don't picture anger like us and God's going, I'm so mad at him. No. God's anger is the great disappointment that here's this man that he's put him in this position of responsibility and God is saying, what are you doing? And he said, God is angry because he had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. You ever think about that? God personally appeared to Solomon two different times. First time, he said, what do you want, Solomon? This is at the beginning of the kingdom. What do you want? And he says, I, I, I want wisdom. And God said, I'm going to give you wisdom because you, and because you didn't ask for other things. I'm going to give you riches and everything else. And then halfway through his kingdom, 20 years into the kingdom, he had built the temple and his palace. He had it all done. God appears to him a second time. But God doesn't 
Ask him what he wants the second time. God says, I'm giving you some instructions. Obey me, you get to live in the land. Disobey me, I will move you out of the land. That's what he told him. And now what did he do? Has he disobeyed him? Yes, he has. What's going to happen to Solomon? What's going to happen to Solomon? Well, we're going to see because if, you know, the, the great truth is that whatever you sow, you reap. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And so Solomon has moved away from God, and there are going to be consequences. God says in verse 10, he, well, go back to 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because of his heart, who was t- turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. He openly disobeyed what God said to do. Now notice, so the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and you've not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Wow, what, what, in, what does that mean? He's going to tear the kingdom away? Well, you remember this, that God tore the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. God's going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon. We go, well, what happened? What's going to happen? Well, let me tell you something when we talk about tearing away. A little bit later in the passage, and we won't get a lot of detail on it. We'll talk about more of it next week. There's going to be a guy named Jeroboam. He's a Jewish guy, and he's working for King Solomon. And one day he's out in a field. And a prophet by the name of Ahijah comes up to him, a prophet. And he says, I have a brand new coat, brand new cloak. And he tore it into 12 pieces. And he gave Jeroboam 10 of the pieces and kept two. And he said, Jeroboam, you're going to be the king over 10 tribes of the nation of Israel. This is the promise. He says, I'm going to tear the kingdom from Solomon and give it to you. Well, we'll see it. We'll see it in just a few minutes, and we'll see it a lot more next week. And so, we, but, but here's what's so powerful. He says, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you, and we'll give it to your servant. But look at this. We see the grace of God. Look what he says. Here's the grace of God. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I'll tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I'll give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I've chosen. He said, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you grace, Solomon. First of all, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, but it's not while you're alive. When you die and your son, his name is Rehoboam, when he becomes king, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from him. And I'm going to give 10 tribes to somebody else that's going to be Jeroboam. And he says one tribe here, but he actually is talking about two because Judah and Benjamin go together and they're counted as one oftentimes. And so he's counting it that way here. And so he says, Solomon, I will not tear it away while you're alive. And I'm doing that not for you but for your father, David. I made a promise to him, you would sit on the throne and I'm gonna let you stay on the throne till you die and then I'm gonna change it. The second thing is, it's not the entire kingdom. Uh, The tribe of Judah and basically the tribe of Benjamin are gonna stay in the southern part and this guy named Jeroboam is gonna get the others. Wow, so I want you to understand something. The nation of Israel, when Solomon dies, divides and 10 tribes go to the north under that guy named Jeroboam we talked about a while ago. He's going to be the king, and in the south, it's going to be Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and there'll be Judah and Benjamin down there. And from that point on, there's two nations. 
Two kingdoms, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. We'll talk more about that some other time. But that's what's going to happen. He says to Solomon, because you turned away from me, worship false gods, I'm taking the kingdom away after you die from your son, and I won't take it all away. I'll just take most of it away. And that's what we see. Now, we're not through. In this last part, we'll go really quickly. We're going to see that uh, God is going to raise up. By the way, sin brings discipline. Sin brings judgment. God is going to raise up some adversaries. Now, let me remind you of something. Solomon's name comes from what? Shalom. Shalom means what? Peace. Solomon has had nothing but peace. David fought, got all the enemies, beat them all, put it all together and said, Solomon, you got peace, build everything. Solomon's had nothing but peace. And God says, Solomon, guess what? I'm fixing to take away your peace. I'm going to bring you adversaries. I'm going to bring people to fight against you the rest of your life. And watch what happens. Look at verse 14. Then God raised up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal line uh, line of Edom. So here's this guy. His name is Hadad. He's in the royal line of the Edomites. He's an enemy of Israel. By the way, the, the Edomites are way down here. But they come up, and he comes up, and he begins to start attacking Solomon. And that's his name. And it gives us a little background on him. Notice verse 15. I'll read it fairly quickly. For it came about when David, David was still alive, was in Edom, and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain. They struck down every male in Edom. They killed a whole bunch of people in Edom. For Joab and all Israel stayed there six months until he'd cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad, there he is, that Hadad, this is the guy, fled to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him while Hadad was a boy. So when he was a little boy and David and them wiped out a lot of their people, he took off and ran with some other people and he made it to Egypt. It says, they arose from Midian, they came to Paran, they came with him from Paran and they came into Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him food and gave him land. For some reason, Pharaoh took this boy in and watch what happened. Now, Hadad found great favor before Pharaoh so that he'd given him in marriage to the sister of his own wife and, and the sister of Tephanes the queen. And so the sister of Tephanes bore him a son and all, it just starts giving about his wife and all that. So he goes down there and lives in Egypt. He grows up, he gets married, and then look what happens. Verse 21, but when Hadad heard in Egypt that, that David slept with his father's David's dad, Joab, the commander of the army, he was dead, he did said to Pharaoh, send me away. I want to go back to my own country. And Pharaoh said to him, what have you let with me? Behold, you're seeking to go to your own country. And he said, no, I, I want to go back. So what we find out is after, he, after David died and Joab died, this young guy says, I want to go back and I'm going to get them for killing my people. And the person he wants to get is Solomon. So he's going to become an adversary of Solomon. But we're not through. I think I, yeah, he fled to Egypt. Pharaoh helped him. Hadad is going to be raised up by God to be an adversary. But there's more. There's another guy. And if you look at verse 23, God also raised up another adversary to him, Razan, the son of Eliadiah, who fled from his lord, Hadadazer, king of Zobeth. He came, he gathered men to himself, became leader of a marauding band after David slew them. And they went to Damascus and stayed in Damascus. He was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, along with the evil that Hadad did. So we got another guy, and he is from up here in Damascus, and he keeps coming down and fighting against Solomon. And so we, we see who that is. 
and and he got his people, and they would gather today. So this one, this man was once with Hadadazer and, and with David, and we got one more, one more adversary, and his name is Jeroboam. Do you remember him? This is the man that that prophet came to and tore the cloak and said, Jeroboam, you got ten pieces. I'm saving the other two for Solomon. So watch what happens here. Verse 26, and we'll go very quickly. It says, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, the Ephraimite of Zerat, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow also, it says, also rebelled against the king. And without going into all the detail, it said he was actually working for Solomon, helping build some things, helping do some things for Solomon. And out in the middle of a field, if you look down, it look at verse 29. It came about at that time when Jeroboam was out of Jerusalem, went out of Jerusalem, that a prophet, Ahijah, the Shilite, found him on the road. Now, Ahijah had cloaked himself with a new cloak, and both of them were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took a hold of the new cloak, which was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. We're going to stop there, and we just want you to see that he's going to do this. He's going to... to uh, this is where, by the way, this is where he's living right here. He's right in there. And so we're going to see this. So Solomon has disobeyed the word of God. Solomon has got horses. Not supposed to. That's trusting an army. Solomon's got gold. Not supposed to. That's trusting riches. Solomon's got wives. Not supposed to. That's trusting alliances. Solomon is disobeying the word of God. Not supposed to do that. Solomon is actually worshiping and allowing the worship of false gods. Not supposed to do that. God says, Solomon, I'm taking the kingdom away from you after you die. And I'm only going to take most of it away. And I'm going to raise up three people who are going to be your enemies the rest of your life. So what do we do with all this? And, 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 and by the way, it is so easy to, to do like Solomon to start off good, to be excited. In fact, most people, when you believe in Christ for eternal life, you're so pumped. You're going, I'm, I have eternal life. I'm saved. I'm saved forever. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do everything. That's exactly what I said. I trusted Christ when I was 19 years old. I believed in him for eternal life. I was 19. I was so pumped up. I'd go to the library at Delta State. I'd walk into the library, go up to people who were sitting there studying and going, hey, can I ask you a question? I'd lean over. I said, I'd like to ask you a question. And they'd go, okay, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? They'd go, who are you? I, I don't, I, you know, it, it was fantastic though. But guess what? It cooled off. It, and it's so easy to be on fire and then cool off. And Solomon started so good and what happened to him? He let everything else. And the main thing that happened, he married the women who had false gods and he began to help them and worship their gods. So let's do everything we can to maintain our fellowship with God. I mean, it's so easy to move away. It's so easy to get on fire and then move away. It's so easy to get sin in our lives and move us away. It's so easy to compromise on things that we think is not important. Oh, it doesn't matter. And before you know it, we've moved away. So what do we need to do? We need to obey the word of God. Solomon did, did what he was not supposed to do, and Solomon didn't do what he was supposed to do. That's the problem. And we're supposed to study the Bible because it's profitable, it's alive, and it's the, it's the truth. And we need to do that. Second, let's keep God first in our lives. There's so many things that can turn our hearts away. 
There's so many things that, 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 that are not even bad. They're not bad. They just keep us from growing. They just, we just get involved in something, and before you know it, uh, we're, not, we're not growing as believers. We're not making an impact for Christ. Uh, it, you know, in our culture, materialism and all that stuff is just so easy to get wrapped up into all of those things. So the second application, let's realize there will be consequences to sin. There is. Think about this. Here's Solomon. There was discipline because God raised up adversaries. There was division. The kingdom's going to be divided. And ultimately, there's the loss of the throne. All because he turned away from God and worshiped false gods. What about us? Well, when, when we sin, there are consequences. We get disciplined. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. There's this unity in 1 John 1, 6 and 7. It says in the body, when there's disunity, when there's sin, there's disunity. And then 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that when we got sin in our lives, we, we lose reward. And so there are consequences all the way. So may we do everything we can to maintain our fellowship with God, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior so we can make an impact for Christ and not, if we're not careful, slowly move away like Solomon.